Welcome to the Jet Movement Podcast. I am your host, Coach Jeremy Hirschkorn here in Bellingham, Washington. Today we have a special episode for you. I'm doing a bonus episode for the season that just wrapped up. So this will be a podcast interview um, with a great uh, teacher coach that I that I had in high school. Um, just an amazing individual who I believe can share some great insight onto how to become successful, what that means, how you can define that, um, and so on. This is something that's been a theme throughout um, a lot of my interviews is trying to get people that I consider to be successful in life onto the podcast to share um, how they got there and how they can support. So special episode today, uh, bonus to the season. You can listen to the rest of the season wherever you're listening to this episode as well. We had 12 episodes uh, this this season um, and that just wrapped up last week. So please check those out as well. Um, without further ado, I will get into this episode. All right, I'd like to welcome Kevin Johnson here from Lucille Umbarger Elementary School, the principal there. Um, I'm going to refer to him as KJ because that's what I know him as. Uh, from my time at Seaholme High School, where he was a teacher of mine and a coach. Um, good to have you on. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's, it's fun to be here and, and never feel weird about the KJ thing. Uh, it's been so much a part of my life at this point um, that I don't kind of know how to go back. The first year that I was coaching at Seaholme, which was my freshman year in college, actually, 93-94, uh, which feels like so long ago, probably because it was. Uh, my dad was still at CM, so he was always Mr. Johnson. Oh, so God. it was easy to not be confused. And then actually when I got hired into the Bellingham School District, there was another Kevin Johnson that taught at Shutson Middle School. Oh, no way. And so it wonked out my email a little bit. My email was always a little off, um, just like acronym-wise in the front. And so I would get his emails, he would get my emails. So it was just easier to be KJ. And yeah. um, really my family are the only ones that don't uh, recognize me as that. Every now and again, people will be like, oh, we know KJ. And they'll be like, who? It'll be a Kevin Johnson. I'm like, oh yeah, that's my cousin. Like, that kind of thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, okay, it's, it's an endearing term, right? Um, so the reason why I have KJ on today is because I am identifying people uh, in the community and in my life that have uh, achieved some level of success, in my eyes anyways. Um, and I am trying to tap into that uh, and share that with people. And kind of how do, how do you build the blueprint for that? What does it look like? Um, so we'll kind of kick into it with just kind of your loose definition of what you think success really is. Yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> having been a leadership teacher uh, probably for a lot longer than I thought I was a leadership teacher, right? Because I think when you teach, you don't realize the capacity that you have to impact individuals on a big scale, especially in a high school, right? You see 150 kids every day, assuming the schedule, right? Like I know schedules change and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, but you know, roughly you see about 150 kids every day. And so I don't think I realized uh, the impact that I had people's, on people's lives every single day just by talking to them, uh, being a part of them, uh, learning with them, those kinds of things. And so I think if I had to really like kind of funnel like a definition of leadership, it's uh, building something in someone that they didn't naturally see in themselves. And it's not building arrogance, it's not, it's not conceit, it's more like, I didn't think I could do that. And I struggled with someone to do that. I wonder if I could do something bigger. And so it's just giving them that little like tweak a little bit, like maybe I can do a little bit more. Um, I'll probably refer to servant leadership, uh, you know, throughout the course of this podcast a million times, cause I really believe in that. I don't ever think it's really about me. Um, 
which is super strange because I'm an only child. Right? <laughs> so only child syndrome is very like, sure. you know, all of the Christmas presents are for me. I know that because I'm the only other one here, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, I really have tried throughout the course of my life to work on some of those traits that um, maybe could be defined as selfish um, or all about me, however you want to say it. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, really building the capacity in others to achieve a little bit more um, and supporting them along the way and um, enjoying their success, right? Much more so than, than mine. I don't even, I don't know if I recognize that I even have any success, but I sure love it when I see somebody else that I just got to be a little piece of, have, you know, this, this enormous amount of success uh, in whatever field or whatever avenue of life that they feel like they have. Your success is reflected by other people that you work with success. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When, did, when did you start like recognizing that that was happening? Yeah, I think high school, um, you know, like a lot of people, they start to kind of develop a personality. They start to develop uh, their own mindset. They're getting closer than they've ever been before in their entire life to getting to make adult decisions for themselves that they don't really have to approve through mom and dad so they can try some things on. Um, you know, my, my experience in high school was probably a lot like yours, right? Like I went into it thinking more about the athletic endeavors uh, mm-hmm. that I was excited to be a part of. Uh, through football especially, but I also did track, I did a little bit of baseball. Um, you know, the funny thing about baseball is you can't hit, they don't want to keep you on the team. It's a weird, I know that seems counterintuitive, but. <laughs> that, was a, I, that was how my career ended. <laughs> <laughs> I moved on to javelin and I felt much more, um, app- not appreciated, that's not the right word. I felt much more successful, sure. um, just in my own regard. I was kind of competing against myself. I wasn't worried about other people and no one else was really depending on me, so it was nice and it was different than football. Um, but being around people like uh, Berger Solberg, who's our head football coach, or Tom Lockhart, who's our freshman football coach, um, Gary Hatch, Stu Egbert, Scott Schroyer, um, you know, those kind of guys that have that success mindset um, really helped me develop and start thinking more about like the team aspect, the we instead of me aspect, um, which again, you know, being an only child was really a weird Mm-hmm. experience for me I had been really shy I had been probably like what you would call a mama's boy um, you know afraid in a lot of situations uh, to come out of my shell a little bit and I could feel myself progress throughout high school uh, to become a really um, kind of like confident and aware and like picking up my teammates those kinds of things I, I by, by no means by no certain means uh, was successful at that point uh, in doing that I think that's been a career long and it probably can be a continue to be a lifelong uh, experience. But I think with every new adventure, you learn a little bit more about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a, um, I feel like it's an interesting balance between like that teammate aspect, but taking care of yourself. Like uh, something that I work on a lot with people in the fitness world is people that are so focused on taking care of other people that they don't take care of themselves. Yeah. So when you talk about that, like it's kind of selfish, but you need it. Yeah. that kind of thing I feel like that's a huge part of like the balance of that and that has been I mean you yeah you just wrapped up being a teacher and a coach perfectly during this last couple of years during the pandemic when people talk about self-care mm-hmm. um, I don't know what it's like for the Boeing CEO or in a Boeing employee to practice self-care I know what it looks like in a school and I know what it looks like in a team setting um, to go back uh, I think when I when I got into education Really, I tried to apply what I was doing coaching in the classroom mm-hmm. 
And then it took me a while to realize that not everybody wants to be coached because not everybody wants to be on a team. In fact, some people, it's their worst nightmare to be on a team. Absolutely. And so how you build community in a classroom is a little different than how you do it in a coaching aspect. Nonetheless, it still requires a lot of kind of point guard skills. You're, you're distributing the ball, you're, you're moving people around, you're getting, places, you're getting people in places to be successful. Uh, that they might not have known that they could be successful in or they know they're really successful and so you're going to put them in a place to be successful at that moment in time because that's what they need. And so I think you're exactly right. I think you're spot on, right? Like that self-care aspect, you, you do neglect yourself a little bit and you feel almost selfish mm-hmm. trying to take care of yourself. And that last few years, that's exactly what, I, honestly, I think a lot of teachers, especially, and probably a lot of coaches have gone through, like how do I keep this thing moving forward not knowing what every family, what every student, what every player is bringing with them to practice, bringing Absolutely. to them, you know, to the classroom. It's really hard to see that when I just look at the student when they come in, but I can tell they're distressed. I can, I can tell they've got something else going on. And so how can I move the needle just a little bit? How can we fall forward just a little bit without giving too much of myself? And I know for a really long time, I, you know, and, and my wife and, and kids will probably tell you this too. I probably gave too much of myself on a daily basis. Um, mm-hmm. I'd come home just a wreck um, in a lot of different ways, emotionally, uh, energy-wise. Um, you know, it was about all I could do to make dinner, and then I was kind of KO'd for the rest of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I'm getting better at that because I think this last two years where you're in isolation a little bit, you learn a little bit more about what makes you tick. And so, like, I know for... For myself personally, I know if I'm giggling, not it doesn't have to be a huge laugh. Laugh, you know, it doesn't have to be that big thing. But if I'm giggling, I'm probably in a pretty good space good. Uh, mentally. If I have something to look forward to, which was really hard over those two years, but I didn't realize that. Even just like I went to a conference in New Mexico in October, right when it was still kind of, um, it wasn't the peak of the pandemic, I would say, but it was definitely a time period where like the people that got vaccinated had been vaccinated, and the people that didn't want to get vaccinated, weren't going to get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So it was a quirky time to fly. And it was a quirky time to be in New Mexico, who was still kind of in their peak. They were coming out of some of the issues that they had in downtown Albuquerque. And downtown Albuquerque was a really interesting place. Every other place was shut down still. um, But they were coming back to life a little bit. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that just for even for a month, being able to look forward to something how much differently my body and my mindset was knowing that I was like, oh man, I get to go to New, I've never been to New Mexico. I'm excited to see what Albuquerque's like, you know, I've I've heard a lot about it. I just want to see what it looks like. So I think really those two things um, helped me out a lot. lot. And I've always thought I was an introvert, um, which maybe is counterintuitive for a lot, what a lot of people think about me. Absolutely. Um, I have the ability to be the person up on stage. I have the ability to command a room. Uh, I do need some downtime. From that, I have to build back up. Um, but I don't think I realized how much I needed people around me. And so like not having the kids in the school for a long time, not having other adults because they were Zooming in all the time. I didn't, that Zoom fatigue, I think hit everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, some people loved it. I don't think I loved it as much as I thought I would. Yeah. Um, there is a different energy in me when I'm around other people, so. That, that's been really great to kind of figure out about myself and I hope other people have figured that out too it's mm-hmm. one of the things that I've kind of tried to preach at my school with my staff especially uh, what are you doing to take care of yourselves and I and I use my examples um, to kind of get them thinking about theirs 
I did see a quote one time that kind of bothered me. Um, I'm a part of this group on Facebook, which I, you know, maybe I should just dump, but um, it was maybe the place that's causing the stress in your life should also talk to you about self-care. And I thought, no, that's exactly wrong. Maybe that is the place that that's, should be talking about self-care yeah, because this is a stressful place. And, and anyone that's listening to this podcast that's in education uh, or coaching or whatever, you know, God bless you. You, you know how stressful that situation is. Um, higher the level too, the, the bigger the stress. And so, um, yeah, I think it is okay that we talk about self-care. I think it is okay that we take some time to breathe. And it probably does fit into my personality, right? I mean, I... I instantly go into a place wanting to learn more about people and, and connect and mm -hmm. like learn about those kinds of uh, things that we all have in common together so that we can kind of celebrate those things. And that is something that makes me happy, but I see it in other people as well. And so I think building the community in a place is really important from that standpoint, because if you just, you know, if you just show up and punch the clock every day, you're gonna have a miserable experience. And I've known people like that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what their self care is. To sit in misery that doesn't seem like a good idea so no yeah i think uh i think you just revealed like so to kind of tie this back to that idea of being successful i think you revealed a big piece of it right there is that you're never like satisfied with your level of knowledge you yeah. know you want to you're interested in learning more and you're interested in experiencing more and i think that's where a lot of people get they get comfortable with where they're at and then that comfort kind of turns into just being mundane and like ordinary and they just sit there and you know something that like just all the stuff that you were just talking about it reveals about yourself is that you just want to keep going like what's the next thing what's the next event who are these new people you know what can I learn about them what can I learn from them and all that kind of stuff I think that's a huge piece of that for you sure know? and you can just feel that in the way that you talk about it um so I wanted to kind of dig into the journey um you spoke a little bit about like some of your influences coaching wise um, as a high schooler, but um, in terms of being like a teacher mm -hmm. of other people or a coach of other people, um, is that kind of something that's always been on your radar or or was it later in life that you started to think of that? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I don't think I knew what I wanted to be uh, growing up. Uh, and I don't know, <laughs> you know, what, what constitutes growing up. I'll say like through high school <laughs> maybe. Yeah, right. Yeah. Through high school maybe. Um, I think for a long time I wanted to be maybe like a police officer. And I wasn't exactly sure why. Mm -hmm. um, I think the more I think about it, back in Bellingham, back in the day, like I'm gonna say like mid 80s, just to give you a target point. I, I have these vivid memories of going up to police cars and they would offer you trading cards. Yeah. Whether they were the Sonics or the Mariners or the Seahawks. I mean, it was like a, a fun little PR and, thing. And they started making them of themselves. Yeah. When I was a kid in the 90s, yeah, in the 90s, they, yeah. they had their own, yeah. And I think, I, I think maybe I just thought that piece of it was cool. The interaction with people mm -hmm. um, the more I was around people like Gary Hatch and Berger Solberg um, the more I think I thought I wanted to be a teacher um, I got a little too linear in my thinking as I went through Western um, I think I really wanted to be Berger and you know they say imitation is the highest form of flattery I think I was imitating it a little too closely I even vividly remember at Western, they had a experience where it was like a 30 minute, like describe your perfect classroom, describe like, you know, if you could get hired anywhere, what does the room look like? Where's it at? Blah, 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 blah. I mean, I basically described Sea home the old Sea home mm -hmm. uh, classroom 127, because I was in classroom 128, so I was off by one room. Okay. Um, 
I'd find that I was the head football coach. And I didn't think I would be the head football coach at 33. That was a little early. Um, but I think that was a part of the journey as well. Um, but as I started to, you know, we were talking about this earlier before we, before we, we got into it. I think my biggest realizations was through, uh, about leadership was through failure a little bit. And, and when I say that, I say failure with air quotes around it. Um, you know, we didn't have a lot of wins when I was the head football coach. And that bothers me still mm-hmm. as a 47-year-old adult. Um, I wish I could have done better for those guys. I just wish we could have done better, right? I wish they could have had that big experience with like, you know, big wins in paper and going to the state playoffs, maybe a state title and all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, I, I can't go back and do anything to change that. But my realization was um, I was trying to be, I was trying too hard to be something that I wasn't. Um, and I don't think every single person has to be an original on this planet, but like the person that I was trying to imitate was not something that was natural to me. Mm-hmm. And so I really think my biggest growth as just, that's just as a man even, um, but especially as an educator happened once I resigned from being the football coach at CM, I really was able to get into some avenues of learning that I hadn't been able to put time into. Um, most importantly, social studies, right? I mean, I was a social studies teacher. Mm-hmm. I kind of owned that world geography curriculum in U.S. history with uh, Kim Kirk and Craig Snyder and, and other people. Um, and I really enjoyed those classes. And that branched into um, moving towards leadership. And I don't know that at that time, I'd been around so many people at Seahome to see their leadership styles that like I knew what that was like, right? I mean, Gary was still there, mm-hmm. um, you know, Monty, Tom, Pete Fry, um, Craig Ferguson, Stu Egbert, all those guys were still there, Pat Fitter, um, and I'd been around them for a really long time. And so that's kind of where my journey began, starting to think about how to change the mindset in myself about what being a leader and, and, a, and a connector and a community builder and and a teacher could be. And so educationally, um, it did take a big failure, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, that quote is like, you learn more through a loss than you do through a win. You know, all that kind of stuff. I'd heard those before. I've been like, yeah, I think I'd rather win. <laughs> yeah. you know? Well, so that's a funny thing I talk about a lot is we think of these certain like taglines, especially within the sports world that are like, like the cheesy stuff, you know, like that kind of thing. And I, the more I experience life, the more I realize that they, they're correct, like they might feel cheesy and like silly or cute and whatever, but they're really, it's really the truth. You know, it really is like you sound like you set an expectation for yourself of being, you know, essentially one, one figure in your life, you know, and like we all kind of have that one figure that's, you know, the idea of what we'd like to be Yeah. and realizing that you're not going to be able to copy somebody exactly and become that successful. That way you have to find your own path with that. Yeah, and, and you know, to a certain extent, you do have to try on personalities a little bit if you're not comfortable with who you are. Or you think maybe there's more out there. and um, Maybe I started doing that a little bit. Um, but I think in the end, what I've done is I've kind of like picked out the best qualities that I see in the people that I've, I hate to say mentored under, because I, you know, I don't know that any of them would even know that they were mentoring me, but like, you know, kind of like the people that I, sure. I view as important. It's like your students feel that way about you. Yeah, and you're like, I, well, I never really meant for it to be that. But like, it, <laughs> right, but like yeah. in a way, yeah, that's your job. Really, yeah. You know? 
And so I, I'm really at peace with where I'm at right now, um, knowing that I kind of struggled to get through some of those things uh, to arrive at where I'm at. And I feel pretty good. You know, I, I think it was a surprise for a lot of people that I left Seahome, having been um, a student there. Right? I mean, I think I started there in 1989, I think it was my, 89-90, I think it was my freshman year in high school. And I basically was connected to Seahome through the 2017-18 school year, right? And my big realization was that my professional and educational footprint was Bill McDonald Parkway, mm -hmm. right? You know, I mean, it just was a weird realization to think that a street in a small town in Northwest Washington was where I'd been, right? I went from Seahome to Western, and then I went from Western to Seahome, and there I was. Yeah. Um, Which is also funny because that was probably like at some point like your ideal landing spot. I, I know, couldn't like, think like of a better goal. scenario. Yeah. I, I remember looking for jobs as I was getting ready to graduate from Western on like all the different OSBI websites and stuff. And, um, you know, I applied to a few other places, but I was like, I just can't, I don't know, I can't picture myself in Wenatchee. I can't picture myself in Walla Walla. I can't picture myself in Seattle. Um, yeah, I don't know. When the Seahome job popped up, it was like, it, I mean, it felt like it was, you know, yeah, I think this automatic. is where I'm supposed to be, right? Yeah. Um, and it wasn't automatic, even if you know the story, right? Like, so, like, and maybe I haven't ever shared the story, but I actually came in second when I interviewed for the job. Okay. They were ready to hire a guy out of Seattle. When they dug into his credentials a little bit more, he actually didn't have a social studies degree. He had a philosophy degree, I think. Okay. Um, and so I was the number two, and sometimes it pays to be the number two. So I got the disappointing phone call. Actually, it wasn't a phone call. I got an assistant principal walked into my classroom because I was doing a long-term leave replacement at Seahome. And uh, he walked in and, and broke the bad news that they weren't gonna hire me. So I was bummed for like 24 hours. And then he called me the next day at five. He was like, well, sometimes things work out. Yeah. Yeah, and so, yeah, and that's crazy to go through, go through like all of that journey to get to a point where you're like, okay, you probably are like, I made it here, you know, mm -hmm. I got my spot, and then have to have a, like a, a second, you know, version of that where you like realized you maybe need to go find something else. Yeah, and I know exactly when it happened too. I mean, it's really weird to have. I've had like two, whatever, like I don't know what you call them, cosmic karmic moments, you know, like however you want to describe it. Really, a moment of clarity. In this case, one was at the top of a mountain in Ethiopia, right, and that's wow. when I knew. Um, my whole life was gonna change. The second one was driving back from Gonzaga. Um, I really liked the idea of getting my master's and my admin certificate from places out there in the world that were like, you could root for them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know, I went through, my early career, a lot of people were getting their degrees from City University, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. but it is a place of education and that's fine. I wanted to be able to buy swag, right? That is still- As, you, as you got your Gonzaga basketball Yeah, I mean, I, I love to root for things, right? Anybody that really knows me knows that I'm a huge Seahawks fan. Anybody that really knows me knows I'm a huge uh, Western women's basketball and volleyball fan, um, the Bellingham Bells, so on and so on, right? Like, I love finding my teams. Mm -hmm. um, so the fact that Grand Canyon, where I got my master's, was like an actual school that had actual teams that actually played Western occasionally before they went division one, that seemed really appealing to me. And the same with Gonzaga and the admin program. I really liked the idea of getting to go to that campus. I really liked the idea of being a part of mm -hmm. the Gonzaga family. 
So I was driving back from Gonzaga uh, one weekend because it was partially online and partially in person. Um, and it was one of those, I don't even, if you're from Washington, you're going to get this. It was one of those Eastern Washington skies where it was kind of like the clouds were high. They were definitely gray, almost kind of green. And there were like rays of sunshine poking through. Oh yeah. And I'm just driving West on I-90 in the middle of nowhere between Ellensburg and Spokane. And I had this strange realization that every single off ramp led to a place that I'd never been. And every single off ramp that led to a place that I'd never been probably out of school. And I wondered if that was a place I was supposed to be, mm-hmm. right? Like might that school be like a really cool opportunity for me to go and learn? Might that school need something that I have that maybe Seahome doesn't anymore? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I had that really clear realization. When I got home that week, I applied for, I actually, I drew a circle around a map for where I'd be willing to commute because I didn't really want to change my, my family's lifestyle living in Bellingham. Sure. I drew a circle around uh, a map of the state of Washington of where I'd be willing to commute. And I started applying to jobs. So I applied for two jobs in Marysville. I applied for a job in the Bellingham School District, and I applied for a job in Burlington at the Lucille Umbarger School. And uh, the Lucille Umbarger School held interviews first, and I got the job. Like, I left that interview, and 45 minutes later, they called me. Nice. So I walked in to see them the next day and talked to the principal, and yeah, there you go. That was the move. Yeah. yeah it's and just, it's been a great move. I, I love everything about the school, so. Yeah, it, it's just, I think I get, I get a, a lot of people that I interact with feel like they get stuck in like doing what they're supposed to do or what they already committed to um, and just feeling kind of trapped or like locked, you know, not having like any kind of room for growth, Yeah, you know? And so this is a common thread with the people that I've interviewed so far is that like, it's almost an unexpected turn that ended up being the, the most, you know, potential for them. Yeah. Rinse and repeat. I mean, that's what it was starting to feel like. Just life. Not, mm-hmm. I'm not saying like see them felt that way. I'm just saying like, it felt like a pretty static routine, right? Mm-hmm. And, and um, that change has been really good for me in a lot of ways. Um, I have opportunities for things to do that I didn't think I would ever get to do at Seom mm-hmm. uh, or in the Bellingham School District. And um, it's been really fun. In a place that's craved it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you've never been to the Lucy Umbarger School, it's kind of the city school in Burlington, for lack mm-hmm. of a better phrase. Um, we have twice the number of middle school kids because they're K- it's not they're, it's the K eight model, but we have grades one through eight. Mm-hmm. We partner with a dual language school, so we also have an arm of dual language in our school, which means that they get fifty uh, percent Spanish throughout the course of the day and fifty percent English throughout the course of the day, so that they're becoming okay. more literate in both languages. Mm-hmm. Um, lot of turnover in that school for a really long time Mm -hmm. Um, my first year there we hired 24 people on a like a 72 person staff so to hire a third of the people going into that summer not knowing 100% of the people (laughs) was pretty nerve-wracking how's this gonna work out yeah Yeah. but uh, it's been really great I mean it just needed a little turnover it needed a little polish it needed a little love and that's what we're trying to do so awesome um, was it easier or harder to leave Seahome after they built the new school? Yeah, that boy, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I miss the old school. I, I really miss the old school too. And it's funny because my, my oldest daughter, Ma Dare, 
she is a junior at the new school, but she knew the old school, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's where she grew up playing and, you know, I'd bring her with her to my classroom and she'd be running up and down the halls. And, um, so in a lot of ways I do really miss that old school, right? It had so much character, mm-hmm. um, not being able to close the doors in some of the wings because it was still settling, <laughs> uh, you know, just all that stuff was just, um, yeah, I think it was easier. Um, yeah. What was a bummer was <laughs> I was kind of like the um, I was kind of like the utility guy on a baseball team. My last year at Seum, I fit into every single category for a need for the new build. So if they needed a committee of alumni, go get KJ. Yeah. If they needed a coach, go get KJ. If they needed a current teacher, go get KJ. If they needed a future parent, go get KJ. <laughs> right? So I mean, I fit, I fit into like every category. So I feel like my fingers were in a lot of the way that the new Seahome kind of developed and looked philosophically. I got to go on some amazing tours of incredible schools mm-hmm. uh, across the Pacific Northwest. And um, man, there, I mean, there's some schools that are just like mind blowing, right? Like yeah. um, um, North Creek down in the Bothell area, it's a new build. I mean, that school is unbelievable what they were able to do there. And we tried to bring some of that to the new Seahome. And so to be able to see where those and be like, oh, yeah, I remember the decision to make that. Yeah. It's been really cool. So it was only a bummer in a sense that, um, well, I guess there were two bummers. One, it was leaving a lot of friends that I'd had for a really long time. And I do feel bad over the last four years. I probably have not reached out to people that I've worked with for 20 years at Seom mm-hmm. uh, as much as I should. Um, our lives have kind of gone in different directions. Uh, but that's not an, that's an excuse. That's not a that's the thing I can fix, you know? Yeah. Um, but not getting to work at a school that I helped, you know, design quite a bit. It was right. kind of a bummer too. Yeah. Especially the fields. Oh my gosh. The sports facilities are amazing. Man. Yeah. That's the coolest part for me. I haven't really been in the new school much. I, I did, I went to the, nobody really has. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. I know. I went to the ribbon cutting and I was chasing Jet around the whole time. So I, yeah. I, you know, I got to check out a few things, but yeah, the yeah. fields are incredible, man. Colin Cushman, the athletic director at Seahome asked me if I would announce the COVID games in that spring for football. Mm-hmm. And part of it was he didn't have anybody that was willing to do it outside. But also my daughter Mahader was one of the cheerleaders and she got to perform. So it was like, I got to kill two birds with one stone. Nice. I got to announce at Seahome from the library deck with binoculars trying to look at the, the players. Oh, numbers. No, That's awesome. Um, Cause they have speakers all set up in there. I, you know, it was always one of my dreams to be able to do an outdoor assembly and they're so set up for that. I know they've done it and I think that's just the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Uh, but I also got to see my daughter cheer. Right. So I was kind of distracted and then it was a live stream and I was getting, the first game actually was Seahome home versus Burlington. So I had a foot in both districts. Oh, no way. And so I was getting text messages from people in Bellingham and in Burlington that they could hear me on the live broadcast cause they hadn't figured out how to turn off the switch. Okay. on the computer to broadcast. So, I mean, they could hear everything. So they're like, hey, be careful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what you say. Yeah. That's so funny. Um, you kind of spoke um, a little bit about your influences already. Um, but if there's anything else you want to say about, like, people influencing you, I mean, that's, like, pe- you know, having a support system and, like, who motivates you and all that kind of stuff is yeah. huge. So if you want to speak a little bit about, you know, just, like, your network and your influences, that'd be cool. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I... Not everybody gets this opportunity. I think I have this opportunity. My parents and my wife actually influenced me quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, My wife is the cheer coach at Western. um, So leadership is her thing. She's also a real estate agent. And any of those kind of like leadershipery kind of things that kick around, we share with each other. Mm -hmm. So she's a great sounding board. Uh, My mom and my dad, you know, I've always been there uh, as a piece of it. I'm probably more like my dad. 
um, in a lot of ways because we had that CM experience together. He worked mm -hmm. there at the same time I did. Um, but I would say professionally, um, one person that I haven't mentioned on this broadcast is a guy named Mike Smith, who is, he's, he's hard to pigeonhole. I don't know exactly how you describe him. How I first met him was as a speaker at a um, student conference in Marysville, and he lives in Lincoln, Nebraska, and he owns a, he doesn't own, he helps run uh, a foundation um, that's a skate park in Lincoln, Nebraska called The Bay, okay. and everything that he does is geared towards keeping the bay alive for kids that need a skate park for people for like small new young entrepreneurs that want to get a kickstart like there's opportunities there and over the 10 years that i've known him he's now evolved that skate park into a high school so it's called bay high wow. in lincoln nebraska that's amazing and everything he does is geared towards that i actually just finished a uh, month-long a four-week storytellers course with him so to reconnect uh, was been, was really awesome but He's been a big influence in thinking outside myself. He runs this video series, or he used to run this video series called The Harbor that was geared towards high school age students, um, starting to think about their next steps, starting to think about their influence, starting to think about their experience, mm -hmm. uh, what are their core values. Um, and every season of The Harbor, I, I can't remember how many there are, but there's quite a few, had kind of a different theme and flavor. Um, there were some famous people in it every now and again. Sometimes it was just him, sometimes it was students, all those kinds of things. But uh, even if they were geared towards students, I always found myself walking away like that impacted me more, probably more than the people in the class. And I think that's what good curriculum does. I think that's what good learning does. It impacts the adult first mm -hmm. and changes their mindset so that then it can really influence the, the students in the room. And I know that he's been a guy that's really been a, been a huge part of my life. Right on. Yeah, it's... Um... It's amazing to see, like, I haven't met anybody that has met a level of success without having a pretty diverse, like, network. Yeah. You know, like, feeling support from a lot of places. And maybe they didn't start out in that position. Maybe they started off, like, all on their own. But, like, to keep climbing the ladder, it's like your network has to grow as well. Yeah. Like, you don't get to just do amazing things completely solo. And, like, seeing, you know, what that journey looks like, being so different for everybody, um, that's a point that I always want to kind of drive home is like, you're not doing it wrong. You know, like it, 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 it could be so many different ways. And yeah. like, that's a, you know, random's not the right word for it, but that's like a different avenue of a motivation than, you know, maybe something I would expect to hear from you. Yeah. And that's cool though, right? Like that's a whole nother, like you said, outside of yourself influence. So like, it's cool how connected we can be with all these different influences now and find that from a lot of different places. Yeah, and every, every path is gonna be just right for that person, mm -hmm. right? You know, sometimes when you hit a nail, it cocks over to the side and it makes that 90 degree and you gotta knock it back up before it actually goes all the way in. But, yeah, you know, maybe that nail is stronger for having getting bent the first time and the ones that go in straight, sometimes are the first ones to slip back out. So, um, Great you know, I think about that a lot. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to get into a little bit of talking about mental health, which we kind of touched on. Um, Specifically over the last you know couple of years, it's been even more difficult. And we're seeing, um, especially uh, like teenage kids, have a very, very tough time with it. Um, there was a recent situation in our neighborhood or our uh, community where um, a, a student took his own life recently. And to see you know such young aged kids have to deal with so much like stress and anxiety um, is crazy. And I wonder sometimes if that comes from, the adults in their life 
being in that position too. So like we think about, you know, especially me and you, we work with a lot of kids, we think about them a lot, but I think that a lot of times it's the um, adults not taking care of themselves yeah. and it like trickles down into them. You know? it, it, it's funny, you actually just said the phrase that I think perfectly fits it, right? Mm -hmm. It is trickle down, right? If you're stressed out and you're somehow in the top of your family tree, pyramid, however you want to think of root system, whatever, all that stress is going to trickle down to other people and it's going to, it's going to bioaccumulate trauma in um, a young person's body, especially, right? Like that two years, um, and I don't want to get into like learning loss. I don't think that's a real thing. I think just everybody learned in a different way. But if you think about that two years, as parents became stressed out about, is my job going to survive? Um, I haven't seen family in forever and they're sick and I can't get to them. Um, I travel for work. What do I do now? Mm -hmm. We're out of toilet paper in the store. You know what I mean? Just like all those things that accumulated. Yeah. And then as adults started to be able to go back to work, but students kind of like had to stay behind. Um, the screen time that was accumulated was pretty unmetered. And I'm not going to get into the demons of like screen time. That's not what this is about. But what I see a lot is students that had no checks on what they got to do during that two year time period or however long they were out of school. Might've been shorter for some, might've been longer for others. Um, and that screen time allowed them to get into some things that were really great, right? They got into technology that they probably never would have had to access or learn. Mm -hmm. And uh, they got into games and they got into uh, unfiltered YouTube stuff. Um, and we're kind of starting to deal with the effects of that now. Um, language, I think, has changed quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm just talking about my community, right? Like, sure. that's where I see it. Um, the bioaccumulants of violence in whatever form it comes in, um, be it sexualized violence, be it uh, physical violence, um, has been kind of bioaccumulated and it's been difficult to wrangle students that don't have a great mindset yet for what I saw on the screen is different than what I'm dealing with in real life. Mm -hmm. And that has been, you know, kids have gotten older in that two years. Uh, unfortunately, they've missed out on a couple years of their childhood mm -hmm. uh, where they got to play and learn to communicate with other people. Uh, instead, they've been communicating on a screen. And it's been really interesting to watch the rebuild, even in eighth graders, of how do I act kind to people? Because a computer responds, whether you're kind to it or not. Mm -hmm. And it's just gonna do the command if you click it right. Um, people are not like that though. Um, it's been interesting to see students work in groups again. Mm -hmm. It's been interesting to see students really not remember how to play. I have this really vivid memory. The first day that we had students back on campus last school year uh the seventh graders went outside for like a 15 20 minute break after lunch i, I hate to it seems so weird to call it middle school recess <laughs> like oh, yeah, yeah. i think of recess as like little kids playing but sure. it's seventh grade recess yeah um and this one seventh grade kid he's so awesome i'm not gonna say his name he uh he went sprinting out into the middle of our field and he zipped up his jacket all the way up so it was over his mouth so all you could see were like his eyes and his nose and he just laid down in the middle of the field with his arms wide open like he was making a snow angel. And for 20 minutes, he just laid there. 
right? I mean, wow. it was like he almost, he expressed his overwhelm. He expressed his like, I don't remember how to do this. Yeah. Uh, he expressed my like, I'm not entirely sure what we're supposed to do right now. Yeah. You know, and they all came back to it pretty quickly. Like, oh yeah, if we roll out a soccer ball, we can kick a soccer ball back and forth or sure. whatever. But I mean, it was just such a great visual of like, oh yeah, you've been in your room right. for like a year and a half and kind of forgotten what it's like to do things with people. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're still building that back up. Um, now at my school, when you also have a language barrier for some kids mm-hmm. or uh, you have language as something that you can hide other people from, right? Like we do have students on campus that will speak Spanish knowing that you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just really, it's an interesting dynamic. I think kids are starting to snap back into things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting. I've seen it in the reverse. I thought it would start with our first graders kind of like normalizing, I quote, air quote, normalizing. And it would work up that way, but it's actually working eighth graders back. Okay. Our eighth graders seem like eighth graders again. Our seventh graders are starting to get there too. And so I see it like working the, backwards. Maybe the younger kids haven't experienced as much life outside of COVID as the older. Well, yeah, yeah. right. Like third graders, this is their first full year in school. Yeah, that's great. Right? Their kindergarten year, you know, in spring, mm-hmm. St. Patrick's Day was, you know, their first day off for a really long time. And kindergarten in the state of Washington is not mandatory anyway. Mm-hmm. So we also have some first graders and second graders and third graders that never did kindergarten just because there was no school. Sure. So it's, <laughs> it's, been, it's been an interesting challenge from that standpoint, but um, it does feel like things are starting to kind of work their way back towards where we were trying to get to. We, we have, um, I'm big on core values. Uh, it's not really something that we've touched on here, but, um, in my leadership program at Gonzaga, that became something that kind of got drilled into me. And I was being reinforced through that, through guys like Mike Smith and um, this program called Renaissance that I'm a part of nationally, um, building core values so that you can kind of build students with accountability and mm-hmm. a strong direction. At LU, ours are kind, safe, responsible, and engaged. And we call that our wolf pact because we're the wolves. Yep. And, um, kids have really bought into that hard, I think because they realized that they were a little bit feral for a little while. Yeah. And so they're really like, it's amazing to me when I, <laughs> I'm talking to a first grader, they'll be like, hey, do you know the wolf pack? And they're like, yep, kind, safe, responsible, engaged. And I don't know if they know what that means, but they can rattle yeah, it off yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like no worries, so. Um, is that, um, is that a, a tool that you use with your staff as well? It's like, yeah. you know, it's probably easy for you to jump into like always talking about the kids, but like, for your staff and for the adults that you're, you know, you're ultimately, you know, responsible for them as well. Like building those kind of things into them. Yeah. Um, the analogy, <laughs> the analogy is always that, uh, the worst students are teachers in a staff meeting, right? <laughs> yeah. Cause they're on their cell phones or talking while you're like, Hey guys, can I get your attention? Right? Like, I mean, I was definitely guilty of that. Yeah. I'm not trying to shame anyone. I a hundred percent was that guy. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think if you go in order of like, if you know your personal core values, mm-hmm. then you'll know if the organization that you're working with or working for fits your core values. Um, and so I'm gonna give a life lesson right now. If you get done with an interview for a job and at the end they go, do you have any questions for us? And you go, no, I think I'm good. I, I, I pretty much discount you right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Like you're not gonna make the cut in my place. I wanna know what your questions are and I want you to be curious about. And that all comes from my school, my core values and my school's core values. So always have a couple of questions. <laughs> That's preloaded. Like, yeah. even if they answered them, ask them again. Um, 
that will transfer into hiring, that will transfer into volunteerism, and that will transfer into at least a couple of things that you're trying to get across to students that this is what our community is about. And even if there's their core values, cause you have, you know, we have almost 600 kids in our school, right? And they're not all gonna have kind, safe, responsible and engaged as their personal core values. But if they know where we stand on those things, at least they've got a framework to build from as they move through our building for like nine years. Absolutely. So it's super important. Um, I would not have accepted the position at Lucille Umbarger if I wouldn't have known that the district in Burlington Edison, uh, if their number one core value wasn't like, we treat students well and we treat students with love. Mm-hmm. And that's very similar to the Bellingham promise, which are the core values yeah. in, in the Bellingham School District, right? Yeah. The number one core value is love. Mm-hmm. And um, that's very much one of my core, that's my lead core value. We, we call it lead with love philosophy mm-hmm. uh, in the admin department here at down at LU. And uh, that's always gonna be the lens that we lead through. I love that because that creating a community around that, like essentially like anybody that might feel isolated and like having a tough time can kind of get, you know, hugged yep. into that, that yep. community through that, that stuff. You got a second chance every day. That's awesome. Um, okay. So the last question I got for you today, I always save this one and try to catch people off guard with it if I can, Yeah. is if you could go back to 10 year old KJ and talk to 10 year old KJ what are things that you would say to them? It's not necessarily advice, but like, what would you, what would you have to tell them? Wow. That's a good one. Um, I, yeah, I think before the age of 33, I was really good at living in the moment. I was phenomenal at living in the moment, Mm -hmm. right? That's why I was good. That's why I think I was a good, I'm not gonna say I was a good. I think that's why I think I was a good like high school athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's why I was a good friend. I'm right there when you need me to be. Um, I'm solely focused on the next, kind of like a closers mentality, right? Like this pitch is the most important pitch that's ever gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And then I forget about that one and the next pitch is gonna happen, right? I was really good at being in the moment. I think if I could talk to that 10 year old KJ, I would say, hey, you're gonna be safe. You're gonna be great. Um, all those things that you might be worried about um, from childhood, which some were really like silly, but others were like, maybe like, you know, rooted in the fact that my parents got divorced when I was in the fourth grade. Um, All of those things are gonna be fine. And your life is gonna be more interesting than you think it's gonna be. Um, So just be open to it, right? And so I think it's like that, that being open to looking towards the top of the mountain and embracing like how far you've come, but like you don't always have to look back. Right, like you, you got over that part. You can look back kind of fondly with it, um, but it's okay to look forward too. Awesome, amazing, man! Great stuff. I appreciate you being on. It's been a pleasure talking to you. We gotta do this more often. For sure. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you.